You are listening to You, Me, and an Album, Episode 68. I'm Al Melchior. I guess it's a little weird that I like living on the edge as much as I do because I usually like songs with catchy hooks. And living on the edge doesn't really have that. The chorus is the worst part of the song. Um, I do, however, really like the riff that's kind of playing throughout most of the song. Or it's and then it comes goes into what I just did before that. Sorry for all the vocal guitar. That was Adam Azer talking about Aerosmith's 1993 album, Get a Grip. Adam is a podcast host for CBSSports.com. He's my former colleague there. And if my memory serves, he's also a pretty good guitarist. Uh, Adam, it's been a while since we chatted, so I'm really glad that we've got the opportunity to do that here. Thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to You, Me, and an Album. Your memory does not serve. I am not <laughs> I am not a pretty good guitarist, Al. I am a very average guitarist. Very average guitarist. I so thought you were going the other way to say <laughs> that you just rock. No. Uh, well, again, very low bar here. A much better guitarist than I am. So at least you, you, you clear that one. <laughs> uh, well, uh, before we get started, we're going to talk about Aerosmith. We're going to talk about Get a Grip. Uh, we're going to talk, it, it sort of in a way continues a conversation that we had years ago about talking about 80s and 90s Aerosmith versus earlier earlier 70s Aerosmith. Uh, we'll get to all that and talk a little bit about your work with um, CBS. But along that same line, uh, for those who may not know, this podcast in a way and indirectly is sort of Adam's fault because you, you've taught me probably 90%, if not more, of what I know about podcasting. You hosted the first podcast I was ever on. I was extremely green. You like were very patient with me. You walked me through it. And uh, you know, here we are um, more than 12 years after my very first podcast back in CBS days. That is awesome, Al. You are one of my favorite all-time colleagues, still the nicest colleague that I've ever had. I've had a lot of really, I work with some really nice people now, always have. You're the number one nicest colleague I've ever had. Heath told a funny story. Heath Cummings told a funny story not too long ago. Uh, where Heath and I have this great back and forth now, but when we started, when he first started, it was tense. You know, we would get into the, these arguments, but they they were not all that fun. They were real arguments, I think. And apparently Heath said a show ended and he and I must have like got, gotten into it on the show. And I said like, we cannot have that. We cannot be arguing. We cannot get like, we cannot have this kind of stuff on the show basically. And Al, apparently you said, how is this any different than every other day? And I was like, <laughs> I, I thought that was so funny because I completely <laughs> overreacted and Al totally called me out on it. So. And I have absolutely no memory of that at all. So, <laughs> yep, my bad. Oh man, good times, good times, great times. Maybe I was having a maybe I, I was having a bad day that day. No, you, I was apparently just, <laughs> I, you know, Heath. I guess Heath and I argued so much that for whatever reason that day I just I just hated it and 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 I just like I must have lost my mind or something but I've grown I have grown up so much since you first met me Al I was like in my 20s and now I'm like a I have like gray hair and two kids who make my hair gray and I'm just like a very different person as you we haven't spoken in a while so you're gonna learn a we lot we haven't we haven't. And as has been the case with a lot of these episodes where I've uh, Nando DeFino fairly recently did one and Nando and I, of course, we work together still now. And um, but we, we never talk about music. So it was really cool to talk about music. Now, you and I used to talk about music 
once in a while at CBS, but probably not probably not for an hour straight. Nando has the worst taste in music. What album did he review? <laughs> Nando picked a really cool album. Sorry to disappoint you, but um, it was a soundtrack album. So that was kind of an oddity for this show, but it was um, the Judgment Night soundtrack. And you had Onyx and Cypress Hill. Uh, and it was it was uh, hip hop bands um, merged with, with like indie rock acts on every track. It was really interesting. Yeah, I guess that sound. Nando can't like normal things. So that sounds like something he would <laughs> he would review. <laughs> I think maybe that's something not Nando and I have in common. Yeah. I don't know. But uh anyway, uh let's uh change the uh the the discussion here to Aerosmith cuz like I said this is in a way a a continuation of a conversation that we probably last had like 6 or 7 years ago. Uh, cause you talk, we talk about Billy Joel and I like Billy Joel, but I think you and I, maybe we like different Billy Joel or had different levels of liking Billy Joel. I don't even remember anymore, but I remember that you'd always be really amped to talk about Aerosmith and a, what I think of as new Aerosmith. And so I'm glad that we had the opportunity now to really dig into it because I was very opinionated about eighties and nineties Aerosmith with only having heard the radio hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is my first exposure to to the deep cuts. Well, uh, but Get a Grip is really a lot of radio hits. So right? I mean, this is a very, very popular album with some songs that became enormous. And uh, Alicia Silverstone jumped onto the scene. She was in all the videos. And um, this, I know a lot of people say something that really pisses me off is like Run DMC revived Aerosmith with the walk this way remake, Mm -hmm. which, which is annoying because it was entirely an Aerosmith song, right? I mean, it's not like run DMC wrote it, but fine, but no, I get this album, get a grip really, I think put Aerosmith into the mainstream, especially with the song crying, where you would have people who would never, ever listen to, you know, mama kin or, or something like that. Right. That really could get into Aerosmith living on the edge too. So, um, this was this was a great album. I thought I am a guy who I love rock. I love classic rock, but I'm not afraid. I don't want to say afraid like other people are afraid to, but I I often like pop hits. I mean, I like pop rock a lot. So this was a great album for me because it took this awesome band. This was this was really the first Aerosmith that I heard. Eh, I mean, other than some songs on like big ones, or whatever. But you know, I didn't mm-hmm. get into old Aerosmith until I got into at the time new Aerosmith. So this opened up old Aerosmith to me, and I thought that this was a great album because it, it was pop rock, but I didn't really think it was cliche pop rock. I think the songs stand the test of time. I think I think they're still great now. A lot of the '90s music that I listened to, I recognize now. I don't really like that much anymore. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Touch Peel Stand or whatever the hell it's called. Um, what was that song called? I don't know. You probably don't know that one. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say I'm, I'm lost there. I don't know which song that is. Yeah, um, but like a bunch of these one-hit wonders that I really liked, that they, they don't really hold up. And uh, this album, I think, really does hold up. And some some fun stories for me as I relive high school uh, with this one. Well, yeah. So that's a little bit of a different perspective for me because when you started to say that this was the album that that introduced them to a broader audience, I always thought of Permanent Vacation as that album. But you were what ten when this came out? Ninety three. I was nine, but I didn't get into. Okay. I got into it a little bit. That was the funny thing is I I liked Living on the Edge. Um, 
I liked some of the songs when I was in middle school, but it wasn't until high school that I really got in. Like, well, I'd say eighth grade, I really got into music and rock music. And then high school, I probably rediscovered this album and got really into it. And um, which was interesting. I'm not really sure why that was, but I just started loving music at that point. That's when I started playing guitar. I think I was 14. And yeah, so this was a middle school album for me, but it, it does remind me more of high school. Okay. Well, one thing I was curious about, and it's a, it's a topic of discussion that often comes up on the show, is how you got into it. So from what you're saying, it sounds like, well, you heard the hits on the radio mm-hmm. and you you liked those. And then maybe a couple of years later, you you dug more into the album. I was wondering if maybe your, your brother, Dave, who's older, if he maybe got you into it, but you're nodding no. No, <laughs> he has a much cheesier, more 80s taste in music. He is... Uh, He'll go to any like '80s hair band concert. Uh, he he loves Brian Adams as well, like that kind of stuff. And I love Brian Adams too because of him. But he's not super into guitar solos and and more of it's not like Aerosmith's heavy metal or something. But they're more of a classic rock. Uh, I think look a little more complex than what my brother and sister grew up listening to. They're both a lot older than I am. Um, so no, I, I, I think, uh, I don't know how I got into this. You know, my friends are really into rock and classic rock and stuff like that. They're really into Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> the movie Ace Ventura has one of the songs line up is in Ace Ventura. So I think I started liking that song because it's in a really funny scene of Ace Ventura. And, um, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly how I got into this specific album, but it definitely was not my brother. <laughs> definitely not. Okay. Yeah, yeah. just because I was doing the math thinking, okay, you must have been about 10. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There were radio hits, so there was there was definitely a way to, to access Do you remember the it. videos? I don't. So I actually was going to chime in before when you were talking about Alicia Silverstone. I was uh, practically about right now years old when I learned that she was in those videos. But I mean, I like when I started researching for this show a few days ago, that was the first time that I knew that. Cause I, I'd never seen those videos because 1993, I was in grad school. I wasn't watching MTV. I wasn't paying attention to any music <laughs> that wasn't played on the uh, alternative rock slash modern rock station coming out of Baltimore, DC. So yeah, all this new Aerosmith, new new Aerosmith at the time was new Aerosmith. Uh, I, I mean, I'm familiar with these songs like Crazy. I think I'd heard before, but maybe just a couple of times. Uh, Living on the Edge, I knew. Um, crying, I knew, although I didn't know it was crying. I thought it was um, uh, Sweet Misery, I thought it was called. So uh-huh. that, that tells you my level of familiarity <laughs> with these songs. And I didn't know the videos at all. So yeah, that was something I just learned about. You're thinking of Sweet Emotion, Al. It's Yeah, so Alicia Silverstone was in Crying, Amazing, and Crazy. I don't think she was in Living on the Edge, which, I, as I recall, was a pretty cool video. But, yeah, she burst onto the scene. Liv Tyler was in the video for Crazy with Alicia Silverstone, which was really weird, I think, in retrospect, because it's like a very sexual video. And there's Steven Tyler's daughter uh, in very it, which, which is weird, right? It's kind of weird. <laughs> but, yeah, um, they, they were... They were uh, I don't. I don't know if people still care about music videos, but once upon a time they were a big, big deal, and those were like mega hit. They were almost like summer blockbuster videos. They were, they were a big deal back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole thing that 
I, <laughs> I missed on missed out on at that point. So I'm going to do something a little bit different because my approach to this podcast is usually just like invite the guest on, let the guest talk, listen to the guest, stay out of the way as much as possible and try not to bring a lot of negativity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I got to get things off my chest because for me to really <laughs> have an open mind to this album and this era of, of Aerosmith, I mean, it was such a struggle for me, Adam, because it's like I would listen to these tracks and, and, and you know, all the internal chatter would, would be going. So I really tried to figure out, like, what is my problem with Aerosmith? Because it's not like it's a band I hate, but it's a band I've never understood their level of popularity, particularly with this era uh-huh. of albums. And so I'm listening and um, Walk On Down, which is right in the smack middle of the album, you know, comes on. And it's the only track that Steven Tyler is not singing lead on. It's Joe Perry. And I was just, and I mean, I wasn't aware of that at the time. I'm just listening. And all I know is this is clearly not Steven Tyler singing. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, there's part of my problem with Aerosmith is I don't like Steven Tyler as a vocalist after like the first couple of albums. You wonder why you got holes in your shoes. Because like I went back, I listened to Dream On, I listened to Kin, I listened to a little of Rocks, I listened to a little of Toys in the Attic, and I could kind of hear the progression in his vocal style. And to me, he's like totally different than on the first album. Mm. So yeah, that, that was a part of it. But another part of it too... Well, at least a couple other parts of it for me. So one was was Steven Tyler's vocals. The other thing, and this one's going to seem weird, and I know I, you know, I as I do with all the guests, I send a, a rundown of questions I, I want to discuss, and I, you know, I wanted to talk about like how do you conceive of this band's personality? Because I realize one of the things that kind of annoys or bothers me about Aerosmith is I don't know how to think about them. Like mm. they're he- they're kind of heavy, but not that heavy. They got like earlier in the career, they kind they had the blues rock thing going on. And still a little bit later on, but like that doesn't feel defining to me. And so it's a dumb reason to not be into a band, but it's my reason. No, it's a good reason. I I think it's a good reason. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, I I just think they're a classic rock band and they're one that lasted longer than a lot of other classic rock bands and probably started later. And I don't know, I guess they sort of came out of the... 80s yeah like i listened to that song angel and that Mm -hmm. i mean that's just awful right i mean that's just all right we could agree yeah that's just kind of bowing to the times and 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 writing your ballad um but they came out of that and then they put out get a grip and i i think that what i like about it is i don't really think of any other 90s band i don't think of any music that sounds like that from the 90s Right, so they kept on going with their classic rock style, with a, with definitely more of a mainstream pop angle to it, but still nothing like grunge and nothing like the other pop rock. Like they're not Third Eye Blind or Matchbox Twenty or something like that. They obviously came before them, but um, mm-hmm. I still I just think that that Get a Grip. I can't really think of any other '90s rock bands that sound like that. Aerosmith not being a '90s rock band, but being able to yeah. be successful in that era uh, with different style of music. And I know I just I a lot of people who are old school Aerosmith fans, and I it's the same thing with the Chili Peppers, which is my favorite band. Um, they don't really like 
the Californication album, which is, you know, probably mm-hmm. the, the one that really, I would say, changed the careers of the Chili Peppers and made them much more mainstream and I think better. And there's a, a backlash against that from the old school fans and the old school Aerosmith fans are probably not going to like get a grip, but I wasn't an old school Aerosmith fan at the time. So I loved it. I really loved it. And what I like about Steven Tyler, I, I mean, I totally <laughs> disagree with you, but I, you know, to each his own, I think he's got an amazing voice. I used to sing a little bit, you know, not well, but I tried to sing in high school and I could never even dream of singing Aerosmith songs. I mean, he, he is such a difficult vocalist. You cannot hit those notes. And he's not. And he's a vocalist who actually can hit those notes live. I mean, he sounds like that live. I remember kind of being amazed by Axl Rose. I'm the, the way you are with Steven Tyler, I am with Axl Rose. I can't, I can't stand his voice. I recognize. And I actually kind of with Led Zeppelin, too. Like that high, shrieky voice, I can't really deal with it. But at least I can appreciate, oh, but this guy's got a really unique voice. But then I heard, I saw, like, I YouTube some old Guns N' Roses concerts, and Axl Rose is not even coming close to hitting the notes that he sings. Steven Tyler does. I mean, Steven Tyler, to me, is just a great vocalist who hits incredibly difficult notes, and you cannot sing Aerosmith songs unless you have a great voice. So uh, I did like that about him. Um, but, yeah, I I, uh, I guess... I don't know where we were. So I disagree with you on the vocalist thing. In terms of their style, yeah, they they have changed a lot. I love some of their bluesy stuff. I think one of my favorite songs is Same Old Song and Dance. You like that one? Yes. Love that song, right? Yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, to me, the, of the songs I know, that's one of their best ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, this album, I thought it was a great kind of album that just stood alone in, in the 90s rock that I listened to. I just couldn't really think of anything else that sounded like it. Yeah, and uh, and that's that's totally fair. Um, and in a way, it's also a little bit of a departure from the previous two albums. And again, I don't know those albums very well, but there were tons of hits, so I feel like I can at least speak to it a little bit. And it does feel like this is a little bit of a return return to roots for them, like not quite as much like flashy production and I don't know gimmicky kind of stuff that made me really dislike the hits from Permanent Vacation and. Um, Oh, and now I'm blanking so, on the, uh, the big one that came fine right after or that. Pump, Pump, I think it was called. Pump, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so Pump I like better than Permanent Vacation, but I don't know Pump like I know uh, Get a Grip. I'm actually going to look up Pump on Spotify right now just so I get all of the... But I know it was it was like that one really got them back. And then... Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, that was a really good album, but... A lot of people, I think the biggest criticism I hear of Get a Grip is that all the hits sound the same. And there is, I don't know if you felt that way, but I, I think there is some truth. The ballads. Cry and Amazing, Amazing and Crazy in particular. The, the Alicia Silverstone songs, people think really <laughs> were like the same song. And I guess I could see that. But I've actually found that the bands I like a lot of their songs do sound the same and I just like them. <laughs> and so they have a style, it works and they keep, and they make songs that sound like that. And I'm, I'm all about that. Well, that's where the personality thing comes in for me because all of the criticisms that I could come up with Aerosmith, I could apply to a lot of bands from the seventies who took a direction in the eighties that I didn't like. Um, but as much as, and again, I'm just going to go to the Genesis well one more time, like I do every week on here. But as much as I, I don't really like the Invisible Touch album, 
It's, it's, you know, it's Phil Collins voice. It's his drumming. It's Tony Banks. It's Mike Rutherford. It's these, you know, familiar voices, whether it's literally a voice or the voice, you know, from their instrument, um, that even when they're playing in a style that I don't like as much, or I don't think the songs are as good. I can hear, you know, I can hear them, uh, you know, so many bands I could name. Yes. Heart. Um, I, and I always think of them and Aerosmith, you know, all these bands that, that made these big changes in the eighties. David Bowie is another one um, that I think just weren't, weren't as good. Um, but if you like, or at least if I like the artist to begin with, it's a lot easier to kind of forgive yeah. the yeah. things I don't like. And I just never had that connection with, with Aerosmith. Yeah. I, I always liked Aerosmith. I think that get a grip was definitely the, f- yeah, again, I don't know if it was the first, cause I think, I'm guessing big ones came out before, before Get a Grip. That must have. I think it was after. It was after. Um, I'm pretty sure it was, it was a after, greatest yeah. hits album. I think it came out before, and I think that was the first album. Can you look that up, Al. Look that up. I, I I've got the Aerosmith page here, so yeah. So, but it's not listed in their discography uh, because uh, I don't think anyway. Um, oh no, you're right. It came out in 1994. Okay. So um, one year off, yeah. All right, so I don't. I guess I don't exactly remember the first time I heard Aerosmith, but you know, Get a Grip was the first album that I really liked, and I guess it is cool that it really got me to go back in time to listen to their older stuff, which I also liked a lot. Um, I, I guess uh, I'm sorry that you didn't like Aerosmith, Al. I do consider them to be the greatest American rock and roll band ever. <laughs> I guess you probably don't. I, I don't, but I mean, that's, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate, I don't really have a big issue with Aerosmith's 70s stuff. Um, but for me, it's just REM is the greatest American rock band. And that's just about loving them and not ta- throwing shade on anybody else. So so how do you feel about losing my religion? You like that song? I, I, I do, but I mean, I have to be completely honest and say that I'm absolutely sick of it, but <laughs> Fair. But it's a testament to the song that like when I hear it now, because I don't hear it as much now, obviously, uh, I'll be surprised at how good it is because I haven't heard it a bazillion times in the past week. I heard. Yeah. When that song came out, was that's one of the first songs I remember hearing on the radio. And I heard it all the time on the radio. <laughs> but I did. I did love that song when it came out. I was I was very young. You remember what year that was? I believe 90. 90. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Uh no, I'm sorry. I guess I think it was 90. Wow. I think it meant, yeah. yeah. Well, it was right. It was around then. Um, yeah, that was a good one. But I, again, I was I was trying to see if, if if you had the backlash to the big popular hit that a lot of fans of the band have in, in across, you know, all bands. I never really had that with R.E.M. I'd say the closest is when Monster came out, uh, but that was really kind of a little bit past their, their popularity peak. Uh, but I just didn't like the direction at the time. But I look back at it now and think like, oh, that's, that's a really good album. And it was, you know, definitely a a brave move to uh, have that kind of departure in their sound. I think you're going to find that I'm, I'm going to be one of your worst guests. I'm going to have to try to <laughs> <laughs> try to make up for it in, in, in personality and in witty banter. But I'm just not really an album guy, which is which makes get a grip kind of unique because this was an album that I had and I listened to not necessarily start to finish. There are definitely some skips on there. In fact, I would say there is not a single album I have ever listened to where I have liked every single song and I don't skip at least one. Um, mm-hmm. But I was, 
I could I could hear a band and hear a single and absolutely love it and have no interest in listening to an album. I don't know why that is. I don't know what it is about me, but I do actually I, I kind of do know this. I don't like listening to bad songs. And nobody likes listening to bad songs, but I really don't like it. I don't like wasting my time out <laughs> on bad songs. So I've just, you know, you talk about all the, I know the album Monster. I mean, I can't name, I can think of the album cover and I'm sure I know four or five songs on it. But, yep. you know, I, I just, as much as Aerosmith, for example, I just a few months ago probably listened to Toys in the Attic start to finish for the first time ever. You know, I, I just am not the guy to go back and listen to albums. I listen to songs. I'll ask my friends, hey, you recommend any songs, something like that. But I have to really, really like an album for it to be in the rotation. So you did pick a good one and get a grip because that was definitely part of the rotation. And that's a weird thing, too, because I guess I, I did pick it, right? Um, yes. Which is, not, which is not the norm. I usually just say, hey, do you want to do this show? And what album do you want to talk about? But I think I was like, we could talk about Get a Grip because I think I had those you know, conversations from back in like 2013 or whatever <laughs> in my head. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad that I did pick a good I'm glad one. You, I'm glad you did, too. And you're inspiring me to go back and listen to it. So I'm now in the Aerosmith mood. Uh, and they, they kept... Making a, they had probably a few good albums after it too. Nine Lives I thought was pretty good, and the album with Jaded was really good. I can't remember the name of the album. Um, Just Push Play, and then mm. since then I haven't really liked much Aerosmith. It's kind of sad when when that happens, uh, but yeah, they had a couple. Oh, good Jaded ones. is Jaded is an Aerosmith song that I kind of forgot existed. When you just said that, it's like, oh, I do know even later Aerosmith. Do you remember Big One? Did you ever experience Big 106 when you were, or was it Big 105.9 when you were in South Florida? 105.9? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Yeah. And I've talked about this before on some other episodes, but I I was super radio dependent up until the time I moved to Florida, which was late 90s, 99 to be exact. And um, I listened to hip hop radio there because I couldn't stand the rock and pop radio. (laughs) <laughs> so I whatever station I didn't like, I don't even remember if that was it or not. Big one, so it was Big 105.9, but they called it Big 106, which they rounded up, which was weird. And then they just started calling it Big 105.9. <laughs> but they, the first time I heard Jaded, was I was around 2000, I don't know, whenever the song came out, I was in high school. I heard it on the classic rock station, Big 105.9, and I thought it was an old Aerosmith song that I had never heard. And then they said it was their new single and i was like that's pretty cool it's you know now i can tell okay it's it's modern but it's got a nice throwback sound to it so they kept doing that all the way into the 2000s early or whenever it was like 99 2000 2000, something like that okay okay yeah and i must maybe i heard it on that station because like yeah i was in florida by by that point uh well um before we, we dig into some particulars about the album i mean you've talked about sort of the the importance of this album and when you heard it but looking back now obviously you think it holds up but i mean do you feel like it is head and shoulders above the rest of their catalog or at least the parts of the catalog that you know really well or uh did it just make you a fan of you know most of what aerosmith has done over the years? i think it's definitely their best album and 
you know, they have like a lot of albums early that that have if you could maybe if they had just taken a little bit of a break, they could have made one album that had more of their amazing songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I kind of feel that way about the Beatles. Like, I could just eliminate some of these crappy songs and, and make the greatest album ever if they had just taken a year off or something like that. But Aerosmith, yeah, they, you know, they 73, 74, 75, 76, 77. They're making albums like every single year. Uh, and but that's so, what bands did then. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that you put out a lot of bad songs when you do that to me are songs that I didn't really enjoy. So I go back and I listen to these old Aerosmith albums. I'm like, okay, no. Oh, great song. Right? No, no skip. I probably like 40% of the songs. This album, Get a Grip, there's probably only three or four that I don't like, including your favorite song on the album, the, the Joe Perry one. Yeah, I figured. Um, <laughs> it's not my favorite, by the way. And after a few listens, I'm like, yeah, this is not a great song. It's okay. It's okay. But I was just, yeah, I was so relieved to get a different voice. Okay, okay. Uh, but I like almost every song on this album. And it has my favorite Aerosmith guitar solo, which is really surprising for it to come on the song amazing it's just at, oh no it's at the very end and it's about a minute and a half of joe perry just smashing and it is freaking awesome I don't. I can't name all of his solos, but I've actually had this conversation with some of my friends who know a lot more about Aerosmith than I do. For arguably Joe Perry's best solo to be on this album on that song, but it's great. Yeah, I thought that was one of the best parts of the album. <laughs> Are you- I, so yeah, I mean, I had said that I kind of lumped it in with the other ballads and said, yeah, they're all kind of the same song. But that that end of that song with the Joe Perry solo was really good. But I was kind of sitting on the edge of my seat here, waiting for you to say which Joe Perry solo you thought was his best because. His playing on this album was fantastic. I could I could appreciate his playing. I could appreciate the things that you were saying about um, Steven Tyler and his vocals. I just, you know, <laughs> I guess I just don't like the style. Um, and for me, the the sort of what I view as kind of like the lack of dynamics. So like uh, uh, at the beginning of Eat the Rich, when he, he pulls back a little bit for, for just a very short part of the beginning of that song. Uh-huh. I had to kind of keep looking at the credits like, that sounds like Steven Tyler, but is it? Because he never, he never pulls it back that way. Then he went right back into Steven Tyler <laughs> almost immediately. <laughs> when I woke up this morning on the wrong side of the bed and how I got to thinking about all those things you said about ordinary people and how to make you sick and if calling things kicks back on you then I hope this does the trick. Because you figure me out you're right about that. I guess there's not a ton of nuance in his voice. He just kind of is is Steven Tyler all the time. But I I don't mind it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, different strokes, I guess. Yeah, I can't really think of any other solos on the album that stand out. I mean, the guitar playing is really good, but just whoa, what an incredible solo! Um, that one stands out. I think the guitar playing in Crazy at the beginning of the second verse. It's acoustic, and it's just like really really fast i can't even do it but if you go back and listen to it right at the beginning of the second verse i don't know if it's brad whitford or joe perry uh but it's that's really cool that always stood out to me you're packing up your stuff and talking like it's tough and trying to tell me that it's time to go 
yeah, this is when I, I was playing a lot of guitar in high school and, you know, a lot of the music I listened to, I don't know if you, if you know the band Lit. You know the band Lit? They sing the song My Own Worst Enemy. You know what? Until you just now, I, that's like one of those bands I completely forgot yeah, about, but yeah. I do know that song. Right. So I love that album. And, and I, as a guy who was playing guitar for like two years, I was able to play basically every song on that album from start to finish. It was just basically a bunch of power chords and some minor solos and stuff. But when I started to learn Aerosmith stuff or try to play Aerosmith stuff, it, it was much, much different. <laughs> just, I, again, so much different than and better than the than the mainstream 90s rock and alternative rock that I was listening to. You know, like you could, you could be an amateur guitarist and play almost any Green Day song. All you have to do is know how to play a power chord. But Aerosmith, you're going to become a much better guitar player if you start learning Aerosmith songs of, of any era. And so I always appreciated that too. Not to say, not to say that I was doing the solo and amazing. That I can't do that. But <laughs> you know, it was really cool. Like um, the bridge in "Living on the Edge." Bum 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 And then you get a little bit of a solo in there. So that was cool. Um, that was hard to learn, and that was fun. I remember learning that. Um, much different than the. Than the power chord music of, of almost every other band I listen to. Then that track is you can't really. I don't think you can criticize that track for being too mainstream. Like the ballads that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think you can. Living on the Edge is, I think, kind of a forgotten song on the album to a degree. Crying is the first one that people say. And then they probably think about the other Alicia Silverstone songs or whatever. I, although I guess I don't know how people view this album. But Living on the Edge, I, I compare it to Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette. Where Ironic and You Ought to Know, I think, get you know are the first two songs that people think about on that album. But when I go back and listen to that album, I think Hand in My Pocket is my favorite song. I think it has I think it's the most enduring. Although, I mean, that's an amazing album. So I'm not trying to take away from the other songs. Uh I think Living on the Edge is is that. It's it has risen to the top. Uh is I think like made the most complete song on that album. I can see that. Um and I don't know if I've did they play the the whole version of it, the entirety of it on radio? Uh, because I had no idea it was a six and a half minute song and actually, yeah, no, I don't think they did. Yeah. And that part at the end, um, I actually thought was kind of cool. Um, cause it was a good example of like telling the story with the music and, you know, the uh, guitar sound that, you know, gives you the, the, the vision of like. Steven Tyler or Joe Perry like standing out on the, the edge yeah, of yeah. the cliff or something. <laughs> I don't know the word. Maybe it's like apocalyptic or something, but it's... Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it's, uh, It is a cool end um, if, if you stick around for it. I, I think they should probably shortened it uh, on the radio edit. Yeah, that that song is, I think, the best song on the album. Okay. What are some of the other standouts? Well, I like the hits. You know, Crazy, not so much. It's okay. But I love Crying, and I love Amazing. And I 
I don't think I would love Amazing if not for the solo, but it does, you know, tie it together and just makes me love that song. Otherwise, I probably just like it. I did like Eat the Rich a lot. Um, Get a Grip, I didn't like it first, but then in college, I got into it, and that one's pretty good. Shut Up and Dance is fun. I don't really... that that See, that is a song that I think doesn't really hold up. I liked at the time and not so much anymore, Shut Up and Dance. Line Up is fun. That's the one that was, like I said, in Ace Ventura. But, you know, if I had to rank the, the top six, I would go Living on the Edge, Crying, Amazing, Eat the Rich, Get a Grip, and Crazy, I guess. Is that six? Okay. That was six. That was six. Okay. Well, with much less exposure to the album, uh, I have my favorites. And other than Eat the Rich, there is no overlap, <laughs> <laughs> which probably wouldn't surprise either so of us. So I'll tell you a story that I promise was funny at the time. I don't really think it's going to be funny, but we'll try it anyway. So my friends and I, we did this not to be cool. We did not think we were cool. We were just trying to be goofy and funny. The beginning of that song is so ridiculous. There are these jungle sounds that go on. It's, like, it's just really weird. And and then you get into this cool intro. And then the drums come in on the boom, boom each time. And then you get the bass coming in and playing basically the same exact. So my friends and I, we air guitared and air drummed the intro to that. Um, but we did it in a restaurant at dinner. Uh, actually, we didn't air it. We mouthed it just like I did on the air. <laughs> totally out of the blue. We were having dinner with like eight people and the three of us, we each like picked an instrument. And I think I started out with like the jungle sounds in the middle of a conversation. Our friends were completely stunned. And then I started, bow, 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 and we just did the intro. And then we started rocking out like after the intro in the, in the I think it was Chili's or something like that. I thought you were going to say like Tavern on the Green. And my friend, no, it was some South Florida chain restaurant. And we, we just stunned everyone. And it was very funny. And it was very fun, Al. And I'll never forget that about Eat the Rich. Um, also, one of the guys in the, the trio that we did it with uh, became one of my enemies who I don't like, but we don't have to talk about that. But uh, yeah, we stuck. I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, so. Thank you. Please don't bring it up. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we had fun with that song and our friends were like, what the hell was that? But then we were all cracking up about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I could see if you were going to do such a thing, yeah. it'd be a great song to do. It, it that's to. exactly what it is. If you want to air guitar or mouth guitar or something, the beginning, the intro to eat the rich is the one to do it to. No, it's a, it's a great riff, and there's a lot of great riffs on the album, and a great riff for me didn't always translate into really liking the song, but um, Joey Kramer, I really came to appreciate him, and you know, just like 
you know, you talked about really being focused on Joe Perry's playing when you were, you know, trying to learn his parts and everything. And I've been taking drums for, for a little over a year now. And so I'm always zeroing in on the drummer and I never paid attention to Joey Kramer before. And, uh, just the groove he lays down in that song is so good. And, and the drum sound is really, is really cool. Yeah. See, I would have no idea how to identify good drum playing, you know, from bad drum for drumming. Uh, but that's cool. I, 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 would assume that technically this is just one of the best bands ever. I mean, they are professionals and having seen them live, I think four times, they put on a great show. They sound tremendous and they're all like extremely talented. Uh, but yeah, what is it about Joey Kramer that jumps out? Yeah. I'm having a hard time really finding the the words to it, but like if, if I just go to eat the riches as an example, it's just, it's a, it's a combination of like power and finesse because like you said, at the, the beginning, you've just got those, you know, those really loud hits, but then when they get into the groove and it's, you know, you've got the little hi hat pattern um, that's really mixed down by the way. <laughs> and I wish it was a little bit more prominent, but it's just, you've, you've got this really cool. Yeah. That was part, that was part of our, of our mouth guitar, mouth instrument rendition, by the way. The high hats. Oh, that's impressive. That was a big part of it. Yeah. Going deep in the mix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just like, yeah, I just like the groove and it just locks in really well with everything else that's going on. And I, I think and now just, I'm thinking out loud. I think that that's part of what I liked about it was that, um, you do have everybody else doing something that's a little bit different and yet it all, mm. it all works together really well. You know, you haven't talked about the most interesting part of this, which is the, 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 photo on the cd oh it's disturbing and kind of gross it's disgusting I, yeah yeah but there's no way you look at it and don't try to guess whose nipple you know is whose right because it's five nipples i'm assuming it's every member of the band right? it has to be so you i i found it so repulsive <laughs> that i didn't even notice there were five i've just averted my eyes because it's yeah yeah it's disgusting i'm looking at it, it it, it was always so gross, but they're five nipples and they're all so different. Um, and you just wonder, you know, who's, which one is Steven Tyler's, which one is Joe Perry's. So that was, uh, I'm surprised you didn't you, lead with that, Al. I thought I taught you. You, you have, you've taken this podcast into <laughs> uncharted territory. I thought you said you learned from me. I thought for sure that would have come up. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I tried to look as little at that cover as possible. Yeah. So, um, and I have to say, you bringing it up is not going to make me go back and look any closer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so that, that that's gonna that's gonna have to uh, be saved for maybe your own podcast someday. You know, my friend told me that when you open the album, if you bought the CD, when you took out like the booklet or whatever, that it smelled like a cow. But I don't know if he was lying to me about that. So, you know, I'm going to text him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna te- right. to text about that. Yeah. See, if that's see what you true. can find out about that. Because he wouldn't lie to me. I'm thinking I might have read that somewhere, by the way. I'm trying. That, that, sounds, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, well, there was one song you said you didn't like, which was one that, oh, I know what it was. Shut Up and Dance. Uh, yeah, I liked it at the time. I, I don't know that I, li- I still like it. I'm not sure I'd seek it out. Yeah, I wonder if maybe it's because it's one of those songs that, it is a little bit different in the feel than the rest of the album. 
And so it's got a little, to me, felt like a little bit of a novelty. And maybe if I listen to this album five more times, I get more bored with it. I don't know. Does that, is that what happened with you? Or is it just the style of it you think just doesn't hold up, period? I think it's a little bit, I think it just kind of goes too fast, too frequently. Yeah. I don't know. I wish Mm. it would slow down a little bit. Like kind of how you feel about the beginning of Eat the Rich. I wish it had more Mm -hmm. of a, I don't know. I wish it calmed down a little bit more. To me, it's just... It's like a crescendo the entire time. Um, maybe it got a little annoying to me. I think it's in the movie Wayne's World. Do you know that? You know, I mean, I've seen Wayne's World. I've seen uh, Ace Ventura, and I did not remember. Oh, it's in Wayne's World too. They play it. They they show up to Wayne Stock. Yeah, but I didn't remember line up being an Ace Ventura. So so Ace Ventura when he there's a montage scene where he's trying to find he's following all the the dolphin, the Miami dolphins who are on that championship team. And mm-hmm. he's trying to figure out who's got the missing, the ring with the missing stone. Yes. And I remember the montage that, that lineup is playing during that montage. That I will go back and check out. Okay, good. Yeah. I uh, like it. Yeah, so yeah, I like Shut Up and Dance. I just thought it was just a good, good catchy song. Uh, that one, by the way, co-written by Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw of Damn Yankees. And of course, Sticks and Nike. Really? Yeah. As in, can you take me high enough, Damn Yankees? Yes. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they're obviously better known for their other bands. You know, Tommy Shaw for Sticks and Jack Blades for Night Ranger. But Night there's, Ranger, there's they sing there. Sister Christian, right? They do, yeah. What is the lyric? So, am I allowed to go off subject here? You absolutely. What is the lyric in uh, "Motor in"? What's the next line? What's your uh, name? Your price for flight. What's your price for flight? What's your price? for oh, We flight? always say, "What's your price for fries?" We always like we're in a drive-through. And now we're back to yellow lead. Better give me fries. <laughs> yeah, maybe fries. <laughs> maybe fries. A reference that. Uh, Probably most people listening won't get, so I will put the link in the show notes for the Yellow Ledbetter um, misheard lyric yes. parody, which is actually it's not a parody. It's a, well, the video I guess is sort of a parody. I'll just put the link in there, and people should watch it. It's great. Oh, the misheard. And you lyrics. introduced me to that. Oh, I did. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, misheard lyrics for Yellow Ledbetter <laughs> are outstanding. You'll, you'll love it. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it's good to go off topic. Happy to do it. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was the song I liked. I like. Gotta love it. Uh, I, I thought Steven Tyler yelling out psychedelic sandwich. Well, I hate Joe that. Perry I hate that song. Back backwards guitar. I hate I that song, Al. I <laughs> hate that song. That is an instant skip. Like that, wow. I don't even let the first note play. That is an instant skip. If I if I were gonna burn that CD for somebody, <laughs> I would I would take that track off. I would uncheck it on Napster or whatever iTunes, whatever the heck you're 
burning CDs from. All right. Well, you will not be burning CDs for me, apparently, because <laughs> you'll be living off all the best songs. <laughs> uh, anything in particular that you can isolate in that song that you just hate or? I really don't just... remember. I mean, I, I think, yeah, yelling psychedelic sandwich just. I didn't like anything about that song. I'm not going to lie. Not a certain, not a thing. And again, it was a little bit of a different guitar tone. Like anything that was kind of novel and different really got my attention. And I thought was cool. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I like those two songs. I like the instrumental at the end, boogeyman. It's so um, funny that you and I, we could, we love music. We could love the same band and probably almost none of the same songs by that band. Yes. It's so strange. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is like our, our musical tastes are completely inverted. Like Sue but Studio. We, got... Is that what you said? Sue Studio? No, Invisible Touch. Oh, man. I love Invisible Touch. What a great song. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably, what, probably my favorite song. Well, maybe, maybe we should just expand this episode out to just talk about Eat the Rich, because I think that song is like the lone intersection in our musical Venn diagram. I guess so. I guess so. What is it about Eat the Rich? What is it about Eat the Rich that you like that that you don't see in in say Living on the Edge? Well, they're they're very different songs. Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's a good comparison though, Adam, because like Living on the Edge to me is like that. Like I said, there are parts I like about it. I like the the end of it. Um, the bridge actually is really cool, but the rest of the song to me is, is sort of boring. Um, yeah, like it's not offensive or anything, mm-hmm. but. It's just to me, there's just nothing that grabs me about the rest of the song. And Eat the Rich does have that. It just has a great riff, a great groove. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel kind of stupid just saying, you know, it's like, like you know, the old American bandstand, you know, it's it's got a good, you know, got a good beat and you can dance to it. Like, mm-hmm. well, it's a good, it's a good album starter. It, it's a great opener. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a little, you know, the little intro that is called intro that comes right before yeah, that's the technical so weird. opener, but yeah, but it's all kind of one of one of one piece. You know, what's weird about this album. I don't know if it's weird, but interesting about this album is, uh, I don't know what they thought the, the big hits were going to be, but uh, let's see. Living on the edge is the fifth song. I guess if you eliminate the intro, living on the edge is the fourth song crying eight amazing second to last song. Crazy is the 10th song. I think mm-hmm. at that time, all the albums I bought, you would expect the second song to be the biggest hit. And, oh, almost always, right? Yeah. Two through five were your money songs. And this album was not that. But two through five, well, Eat the Rich was one, then Get a Grip, then Fever. Fever's fine. And then Living mm-hmm. on the Edge. Uh, yeah. So you got, you know, Crying it was, I feel like, the biggest hit on the album. And it's the eighth track. That, that's unusual. Yeah, and it's funny because when that is the case, usually whoever I'm talking to on this podcast will point that out and say, "Hey, you know, this I can I can think of at least a couple episodes top of mind where you know somebody said, "Hey, this is the biggest hit on the album, and it was the third to last track or something like that." Did you do by any chance the color and the shape by the Foo Fighters? I have not done any Foo Fighters, and that's that would fit the format because that's another band where I know, you know, I know the hits. But I don't know the deep cuts. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Monkey Wrench is the and second. That was, song that's the first on that one, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that is their second album, I think. Okay. But that's their biggest one. Or oh, that's that was uh yeah Foo Fighters self titled album came out in ninety five. So Monkey Wrench was their second 
second song on that album. But My Hero and Everlong, which I would say are their two biggest hits, their two best songs, are on the second half of the album. And so when I was listening to that album last month, I, I was like, well, this album's really not that great. There's, some of the songs are, but I didn't really love it. And I love the Foo Fighters. I love the Foo Fighters more than Aerosmith. Um, wow. But I think if they had rearranged the tracks and put one of those songs earlier, I might like the album a little bit better. But it's just a long way to wait before the payoff to me. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. There are albums like that. Um, but I, I want to get back because I feel like yeah, I, I wasn't happy with the way. No, no, no. I wasn't happy with the way I answered your, your question. Okay. Um, but I think it has to do like comparing Eat the Rich with um, Living on the Edge. I think it has to do with the way the song's p- put together. And I think it's just generally maybe what differentiates the songs I do like and like less on this album. Because like I said, everything is working together. There's a little bit of the buildup at the beginning. It They don't just come at you right away. Um, so everything about that song feels like it's well put together and well thought out. Living on the Edge is also, it's like a song that clearly was crafted but I just feel like it relies so much more on the melody, which to me, again, just didn't grab me mm. um, than on kind of like building an emotion. And I felt feel like the bridge is like the one place where that song does that. I guess it's a little right. weird that I like living on the edge as much as I do, because I usually like songs with catchy hooks and living on mm-hmm. the edge doesn't really have that. The chorus is the worst part of the song. Yes. Um, I do, however, really like the riff that's kind of playing throughout most of the song. Or it's and then it comes goes into what I just did before that. Sorry for all the vocal guitar. There are some songs where the most memorable part of the chorus is a guitar riff, and that I, that this might be one of them, "Living on the Edge." But I think it's a it's a change up from the rest of the album because it is kind of more slow and more boring. It's it's like the exact opposite of the beef I have with "Shut Up and Dance." Uh, it's it's a more mellow song, but also the mm-hmm. bridge. If it didn't have the bridge, the bridge is the best part. If it didn't have the bridge, which rocks, I probably wouldn't like "Living on the Edge" nearly as much. But but it does, Al. Uh, so. <laughs> it counts. Yes, it, you count, count it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I know we didn't hit every track. I think we came pretty darn close. And it's it's a long album. It's it's well over an hour. Um, but, I'm sorry uh, that you had. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Well, you know what? You could look at it two ways, and you could look at it that way or look at that. Um, there there was a lot more stuff on there that I liked than what I expected to. Because like I said, I, I had all these opinions about this era of Aerosmith. And so, yeah, I found, I mean, what I named, I think, four or five different songs that I actually really liked. I'm trying. Oh, good. Uh, they were the worst four or five songs on the album, but that's fine. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, what album can I recommend to you? And I don't think there's a chance in hell I'm going to recommend an album that you're going to like. But the only one, I think you should try a Foo Fighters album. I think you should try... The color and the, and the shape is, you know, the one that most people would do. But I would say Wasting Light by the Foo Fighters. I hope you can listen to that and have somebody on to talk about it. It is my favorite Foo Fighters album. It came out in 2011. And I think it is the, it is almost a no-skip song. 
Um, mm. But if you're if you're going to listen to an album based on what you've said about Aerosmith, I think you would like "Wasting Light" by the Foo Fighters. All right. Well, that that is a band I would love to do. I'd love to cover on this uh, on this podcast. And I don't know that you uh, or I don't know that I or any guest has ever like put a call out <laughs> to say, hey, if you want to do this album. But yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I'll come back I, on. I got I got no problem. I, all right. You know, I'm happy to come back on. <laughs> OK, well, one way or another. Uh, yeah, I would love to have you back, whether it's for Foo Fighters or, or something else. And and uh, would love to talk about that album. Uh, uh, so I'll tell you what it's not going to be. Al. It's not going to be fantasy baseball. I, I have no I don't know anything about fantasy baseball anymore. All right. Well, that's the the perfect pivot then to talk about what you are doing, because, yeah, I, I know I've been aware that you haven't been uh, podcasting uh, about fantasy baseball in some time. Are you even playing anymore? Yes, I, I have okay. one league, uh, the old editorial league from the office. Share it with Jamie Eisenberg. We play double headers every week. We are currently, I believe, the highest scoring team and we are four and oh. Uh, after two weeks, I just basically use the advice from the CBS guys uh, and listen to some podcasts. And um, yeah, so still a huge Yankees fan, still like baseball. Just don't really, ha- I just don't have time. And it's not even because of football, it's because of family. I just don't have time for fantasy baseball right now. But I dropped down to one league. I, I couldn't give it up. I really, I thought, man, I might not have any leagues. And I was like, no way. I got to, I am the commissioner of this league just to make sure I was able to be in a league because nobody wanted to be the commissioner. I thought the league was going to disband. I was like, no, screw this. I, I have to play. Um, but yeah, it's it's mostly football for me. I, I host Fantasy Football Today, and this is a big week for us, actually, with the NFL Draft. So we got plenty of NFL Draft content for you. Uh, check it out, Fantasy Football Today. All right. Anything else people should be looking for? <sighs> no. That's plenty, I guess. Yeah, there's nothing else going on for me. Oh, I wrote an article. I So, you know, I've written, I've barely written anything in the 12 years I've been at CBS. I've been just on air. And one of our editors asked, hey, does anybody want to do a first-round NFL mock draft with fantasy analysis on each pick? I was like, sure, I'll do it. It's the worst decision I ever made, Al. It took me so much longer than I thought. I don't know if every article is like that, but I was like, oh, this will be fun. This will be easy. I hated every moment of it. So that'll be that'll be publishing on Tuesday. You can, people can check that out on uh, <laughs> right. cbsports.com slash fantasy. I think it turned out fine, but it was a lot. Writing is a lot. It's tough for me. I'm just not, I'm not a good writer. It's tough for me. Well, People should go check it out. Be be their own judge. After you, you don't like shut up and dance, and it's actually very good. So <laughs> you might be wrong about this too. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, and I know, of course, you are on Twitter at Adam Azer. Uh, is that where people should go to to find your writing, your podcast? Not my writing. Not my <laughs> not my writing. Yeah, uh, Twitter or just just whatever podcast app you use. Fantasy football today. Or YouTube.com slash Fantasy Football Today. We're on YouTube. You can see how badly I need a haircut right now. All right. All right. Uh, other reasons to go too, but uh, check it all out, everybody. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Al Melchior BB. The show has an account on Twitter at Yumi Album and also on Instagram at Yumi Album. And whether it's Instagram or Twitter or both, those are the places where you can find out well in advance who is going to be on the show for the coming weekend. 
and what album they're going to bring. So you can uh, listen to it ahead of time. And uh, for those who have been following the show, you know that I, I moved to a uh, an every other week schedule for a little while. It is going to be two weeks until the next episode here. After that, I'm coming back to weekly and I'm very, very excited about that. Very excited about some of the other shows coming up. I'm going to have back-to-back shows that are going to coincide with the guest's album release. So I'm super excited about that. So lots to look forward to here. Thank you to everybody who's uh, been tuning in and supporting the podcast and the newsletter. Really, really appreciate it. And Adam Azer, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and get me better acquainted with Aerosmith Mm -hmm. and uh, looking forward to listening to some Foo Fighters too. Thank you, Al. It's always great to talk to you. Let's let's do it again much sooner. Yes. Maybe not even on Zoom or, you know, for a podcast. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> We'd love to see your face, Al Melchior. <laughs> right. Well, again, uh, Adam, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And again, in two weeks' time, I will be back with a new guest, a new album. And until then, of course, listen to some great music.